And this is Womance. A podcast about romance novels. About wild quins. About the open range. About cowpokes. About deeply troubling dads. About name shame. About being the girl that everyone's in love with and not knowing it. About making love next to stagnant big puddles of water. About running away when the going gets tough. But most of all, it's about that first thing. Romance novels. And ourselves. This week, we are joined by co-host of Learning the Tropes, Aaron. Hi guys. Yay. Thanks so much for having me. We're so excited We're to so have excited you. We're so excited to have you. Thank you for coming back for a re-recording. Yes, that's right. <laughs> we had two episodes that required re-recording, but that's okay. The curse of January. <laughs> She's just not going to let us have it easy, just like all of her heroines. Yeah, it's true. And this week we are talking about Brave the Wild Wind, one of Joanna's westerns. So to start things off, we gave Aaron like a list of books that we were thinking about, and I think you narrowed it down. But why was Brave the Wild Wind interesting to you, Aaron? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I do love Westerns, and Westerns was sort of like how I got started into reading romance. Mm-hmm. I had never read any of her Westerns, and so I thought it could be a good and interesting one. So, yeah, you gave me a list of like three or four, I think. Yeah, I guess it wasn't that narrow. But <laughs> <laughs> We're like, what do you think of these covers? Yeah, <laughs> awesome. Why are Westerns interesting to you, Erin? I'm really curious because I am so bored by the idea of a Western. I don't know what it is that is actively unappealing to me about them. Yeah. Well, I, I was a giant um, Dr. Quinn fan oh my God, uh, back in my... Back in my like teen years when I used to like babysit every Saturday night and watch Dr. Quinn. Amazing. So I think that probably imprinted on me pretty young as like Westerns being really fun and cool. And then I think that a lot of romances now, like uh, historicals that are set in England and stuff, it's sort of the very wealthy people. And I think I liked the idea of Westerns a lot of the time, not this one, but it's people who are trying to like make their way on their own. Yeah. You know, they find themselves in really difficult circumstances and it's about sort of like making the best of it and and working really hard in a way. Yeah. And I just always really appreciated that and liked that. And I love horses. So there you go. (laughs) I'm a horse girl from way back. So I was like, yeah, I am also a horse girl. That has clarified for me so much about what's appealing about Westerns, because when you say Dr. Quinn, medicine woman, and I think about like Beverly Jenkins, I think about competency porn. Yeah. Which is such a pleasure to like read and watch and like experience. And it doesn't really come up like women in other like English historicals, Mm -hmm. they because of their station, they're not really given a chance to like be really competent and Mm -hmm. do that kind of demonstrative stuff there is something so sexy about like a demonstrative competence especially if it comes either as a surprise or as like a validation where it's like i love my girl so much and like look at her do all the amazing things and there's like a crowd and they're like i didn't know women could do that or it's like (laughs) when the hero's like i didn't know you could do that and she's like well i did (laughs) competency just feels like such an amazing like clap back i love it and i think you know, to my discredit, whenever I think of Westerns, I do think of like the Wild Bunch or yeah. like a John Wayne movie or these super like uh, phallic. <laughs> <laughs> like pretty racist. Yeah. 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 Uh, depictions. I, yeah. I'm just going to good like 90 CBS is what I'm thinking about. Mm. 
Dr. Quinn. Yeah. And I think just Westerns in the culture, I think, need to come back. I was talking with a friend of mine about this the other day who writes like screenplays and stuff. I was like, you need to write a Western. Mm -hmm. There's been none. Like the Magnificent Seven just came out, Mm -hmm. like the remake. And that was fantastic. And like True Grit. There's not that many. So there really aren't. Although I would say that space Westerns are really conquering the absence. Like the Mandalorian, I think, is a really good space Western. Firefly was obviously like the, you know, par excellence of a space Western. And I think there is like that, obviously, coming from an American audience, that rugged individualism that like lends itself really easily to Mm -hmm. space. I watched a movie that's been out for a while. It was filmed in New Zealand and it had Michael Fassbender in it. Was that Slow West? Slow West. Yeah. Oh. That's what I saw the other day. It was so beautiful. It New Zealand does a great pretty. job of standing in for Wyoming. But Oh, it wasn't supposed to be New Zealand? Yeah, it was supposed to be Wyoming. But I was like, where did they film the... Like, you know, when you've like, actually been to a place and you're like, this just doesn't feel quite right. It doesn't feel like the front range. Yeah, but it was That's so, so good. It was so surprising. beautiful. And it was really one yeah. of those... One of the cool things about Westerns is like the location yeah. uh, filming. Yeah. Well, and I think also... You know, we know about because of our one Wyoming listener for learning the tropes, but like <laughs> there was such a uh, more equality between the sexes yeah. in the West yeah. just because there was less colonizers or whatever. Yeah. So they didn't have the baggage that you had back East because there just wasn't as many people. Right. And so that always is a bit more interesting too. The women didn't feel as constricted yeah. as maybe in other historicals. And I do love a historical and I do read so many like historical set in England. And th- I think those are definitely changing too as far as like the heroines seem to be having more and more like jobs and mm-hmm. vocations yeah, and yeah. things like that. I'm thinking further back when that sort of wasn't existing so much. Totally. Like, totally. and not even that further back. It's like the early 2000s. They were very much worried about whether or not they were going to be married. But I think yeah. that kind of I, describes like another reason we need more Westerns is that Westerns kind of come from this idea of like creating the mm-hmm. world you want, creating yeah. the reality that you want, but in a tangible way. Right. Exactly. Also, the 2000s were 20 years ago that's ah, really yeah. good point. <laughs> i'm good so point. old <laughs> those books can vote now oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> oh my goodness okay all right so should we read the back cover yes. of the book to kind of go over what it's about <clears throat> until a woman knows a man's desire she can never know his love Oh my God. When she overheard him refuse to marry her, she swore to make him suffer any way she could. But Chase Summers wasn't a man to be trifled with, even though beautiful Jessie Blair could hold her own against any man in the territory and was running the ranch by herself after land grabbers had murdered her father. Chase Summers drove her to a fury of frustration. In her innocence, (laughs) she did not understand how very much he desired her. Her beauty haunted him. Her arrogance enraged him. She defied and tormented him until his passion spilled over into violence. Yet nothing could soften her stubborn heart, it seemed, but to tame a man's pride, and no woman tamed Chase Summers. Yet! (laughs) When fortune called upon him halfway across the world, he realized how empty his world was without her, and the girl who had become a woman in his 
arms, knew at last in her heart where her destiny lay. Amazing. Thank you. Wow. It was really hard to read because the text is white and it has no border and there's all this like white sea foam behind it. Even though we're never on the sea. Never. Yeah, ponds don't really splash like that. Not in Wyoming. Well, they, she goes to Spain. That's a good point. That is a good point. Although I feel like that's very much like a fade to black. Like there isn't a ton of time of her on the ship. That's true. She also has like a two-year gestation period, which is... Oh my God, right? I like, I want to talk about time in the book. I also want to talk like, okay. So like the things that I know that I want to talk about, I want to talk about sex. I want to talk about racism. I want to talk about time. I want to talk about violence. Sex, racism, time, violence. Just a real chill book. It's a yeah. real chill book. And like, you know, it's chilled because the first 10 pages are about a man named Thomas Blair, Jesse's dad. And he is such a strong character that when his wife gives birth, the midwife refuses to tell him for a week that it's not a son. And he's not participating enough in parenting to realize it himself. Right. So <laughs> they name their daughter <laughs> Kenneth. And then a week later, the midwife fesses up and it's like, uh, actually, Kenneth Jesse is a girl. And like, that's how Johanna Lindsay starts. And then like two pages later, this dad shows back up and he's like, just sold his cattle. And he sees a woman in his bed making love to another man. And he's like, I'll kill you. I'll kill you. I'll kill you. Because he assumes that it's his wife, Rachel. And then Rachel appears and he beats her almost to death breaks her jaw and everything else and then she crawls away and he's like if I ever see you again you'll be dead and that's how the book starts that's the first 10 pages listeners yeah that's just opening that's yeah, just yeah opening. you just build from there <laughs> yeah she her jaw is broken there. she's bit through her own tongue she is saved by a mystery man and then the next scene is our heroine getting felt up in the woods <laughs> on the prairie on the, on the prairie. prairie you're right she's in this tall grass in I liked that scene. Yeah. Reading the back of the book is chilling after you've read the book because there's a lot (laughs) said there that (laughs) you look back and you're like, oh, wow, that was not really how it was. That was not how it was. Yeah. I think it's really important that like these moves are very jarring. And I would go so far as to say that Johanna Lindsay does that on purpose to be jarring where it's like the West is a very dangerous place for a woman. Men can't and maybe shouldn't be trusted and they're easily misled by their emotionality. This is like one of the things that I've discovered about Johanna Lindsay in this project is that she's not afraid to be like men are overly emotional and when men are overly emotional they make violent and terrible choices. And it's nice to have somebody call out men for their emotions and how sometimes they're bad. (laughs) Yeah. It it feels very like type five to be like the difference between a crazy man and a crazy woman is the man will murder you. In a romance novel groundbreaking. Yeah. Because most of the time, the men are always just like sighing at women and their sensitivities, you know. Or like growling. Yeah. Yeah. This is, he's very dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know where it really fits into your list of sex, racism, time, and violence. But It's just like the book starts with so much violence. One of the things I think we're poking at 
is gender. Because gender is really interesting in this book because we have a heroine who was named Kenneth because mm-hmm. her father didn't want a son, pulled her out of boarding school after he beat her mother to spite her mother to make her something other than a lady to like raise her to be this tough rancher. Whenever her father dies and lists her mother as her guardian and Rachel returns, Jesse assumes it's to shame her mother, to show her mother what he had done to their daughter by making her masculine. But Jesse always has this inclination, like immediately after her father died, she goes on a train to the town and buys like a bunch of fancy dresses because that's how she wants to dress. But she keeps those a secret as soon as Rachel arrives and mostly dresses in like tight pants, right? She dresses like a man, but our hero Chase is turned on by that because it shows off her womanly figure so much more. Specifically her butt. So I kind of, yeah. specifically her butt. Chase is an ass man, I guess. Chase is an ass man. Joanna Lindsay Lizzie. loves butt. Butts, 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 butts. Butts for days. Butts, 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 butts. So I think the way gender is functioning in this book is really interesting. And that there's something in it where it's like gender expression and like the truest self and like the reasons that one would feel forced to hide or the reasons that one would feel forced to not express gender are really interesting, which I think leads us immediately to the racism. Because (laughs) one of the only places that Jesse feels her most feminine, her most girly, is with the native tribes, the Cheyenne. The Cheyenne, yeah. So she has this amazing brother friend and she's really taken in by the Cheyenne who are off the reservation, holding their own, as it were. And she goes there and she is adopted and she's allowed to wear dresses and skirts. I kind of feel like we're talking through so much of the plot of the book because we're trying to remind ourselves what happened. Yeah, this is all sounding familiar. I'm remembering this. Yeah, I'm kind of getting my footing now as I'm like progressing through the plot. Well, because the thing about Jessie too is anytime anything mildly inconvenient happens or a conversation she doesn't want to have, she just runs away. Mm -hmm. And she goes to the hangout with the Cheyenne or goes to different places to to hide. Mm -hmm. And the thing with her mother, like did her mother ever try to tell her her father that like it wasn't her no no because also the mother had to know like okay well i know it wasn't me fucking that guy yeah. and there's only one other woman yeah around yeah right <laughs> so it must have been her fucking that guy yeah. and like at no point are you just like like whatever i'll stay away it's fine i'm gonna get remarried but like just so you know it wasn't me it was the housekeeper right yeah. i think that's my biggest pet peeve about i think it's like an epidemic in romances specifically where it's like i have this information that will change everything and really solve a lot of plot holes and I just don't want to say it. I think suffering no in silence is this toxic femininity <laughs> that yeah. we put up with so often, right? And is really exalted. So when we read the introduction, we don't actually know that her mother wasn't making love to a farmhand. And I think to the credit of this book, initially, at least for me, I was really into that. I was like, yeah, she might have been having sex with a farmhand. Her husband sucks. Mm -hmm. And no one deserves to be beaten this way. Yeah. The book does not carry on (laughs) that line of thought, though. This book makes a lot of promises in the first 100 pages or so that it then breaks. Like, the fact that our heroine is, like, getting felt up by not the hero in the first chapter, right? The fact that our heroine seems conscientious of how she's going to communicate with a person of, like, a different racial and cultural background than her and meeting them on their level as opposed to, like, expecting them to like 
communicate with her in this like western white way all of this really neat stuff happens in the first hundred pages the book never lives up to that well it can't because as Erin so beautifully put it she has somewhere to run to which is good yeah but she runs away when things get tough it's like her mom wants to have this honest conversation with her and she's like peace Mm -hmm. defining characteristic of the heroine yeah is bouncing (laughs) and i think that chase lives up to his name that he always goes after her and tries to find her and is successful sometimes not other times i mean it's interesting then at the end of the book she's going after him after he has gone to try to find his family Mm -hmm. his father she follows him to spain while she's pregnant and it's kind of insane. The time is just very odd. Yeah, she's but that's pregnant jumping forever. ahead. Yeah, she's pregnant for so long. I think time is such a like elusive force in this book. I think we should feel free to jump around while we talk about it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, like anything that strikes you, but like I think a secret pregnancy, the fact that she and Chase have sex on the open prairie after he's like chased her. And Aaron, confession, I 100% did not make the connection that he's constantly chasing her. And his name is Chase <laughs> until this very moment. And I'm like, fuck! <laughs> I'm such an idiot, but you're so right. Shit. <laughs> but his real name isn't Chase. It's like Jose. Pedro. It's Pedro. Pedro. It's something really embarrassing. Jesse shouldn't feel bad about being named Kenneth, Kenneth. because he's named Pedro. Uh, Racism. Pedro's a fine name and Kenneth is not. <laughs> <laughs> there's no female of Kenneth, right? Right. There's no, no there's female not. version of Kenneth. And also like, sorry to our male Kenneth listeners, but <laughs> it's not great. It's not great. You're not great. Well, <laughs> maybe you're great. You're, you're not. Great. <laughs> I feel like you're talking to a specific Kenneth right now. I feel like maybe you're like in a state legislature and you say really egregious things about women's rights. Kenneth. But maybe yeah. you shouldn't. Kenneth. Okay. <laughs> wow. Hot takes. Yeah, yeah maybe you cheated on Emma Thompson, Kenneth. Maybe. Oh. Go out to everybody. It's such a bizarre name, too, because it's not even that he named what he thought was his son after himself. He just picked yeah. like, a whole brand new name. Yeah. Can you imagine holding a baby and being like, I'm going to give him a strong name, <laughs> a name to rule the plains, <laughs> Kenneth. <laughs> it doesn't, no, it doesn't track. I mean, I guess because we've already told them this is our second time yep. doing yeah. this. I remember they have sex on the plane. They do. But then what happens that she is mad at him and then like doesn't want to have sex with him anymore? He says, so this isn't going to go anywhere, yeah, no, right? he's talking to her mother about it. Her no, 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 no. Because like, he says it in the sex scene because he's like belting himself up and he's oh, like, cute. yeah. And he's like, hey, oh. hey, let me find it. Because the sex scene also, you know, I know that people hate when people say that romance is formulaic, but it has very specific novel beats and what was actually remarkable about this one is that the first penetrative PNV sex scene happens only in the first quarter which usually the first like sex scene doesn't happen until halfway or maybe even three quarters so anyway it's remarkable for that reason and so then he's like Jesse says 
what's wrong? And he's like, nothing. And she's like, you're sorry we did this, aren't you? And he's like, aren't you? Because he finds out that she's a virgin because blah. And he's like, you were a virgin. Of course I was. Did you think otherwise? Well, you weren't behaving like a virgin the first day I saw you. Okay, buddy. And like, that's the first <laughs> insult. And then he says, you're not going to expect anything because of this. And then she says, what do you mean expect anything? And he's like, come on, Jesse. You know what I mean. I'm sure you're not like most virgins who give themselves up just to trap a man. But if Rachel should find out about this, she would insist we marry. And of course, I'm not good enough for you to marry. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then she further overhears a conversation between her mother and right. Chase where he's like, I would never. I hate her. She's oh, I the thought worst. that happened. I thought that part happened earlier. No, that. And that's why, like, originally she hated Chase. No. OK. Yeah. Well, that's not a great look. <laughs> no, Chase yeah. is actually pretty like uh, disgusting bro here. I had a guy friend who was like very proud of the fact that every time before he had sex with a woman, he would like have a talk with her and be like, I just want you to know we're not going to be in a relationship. I'm not Jesus interested God. in a relationship, blah, blah, cool. blah. And I was like, you have to know that like some people are going to hear that and be like, all right, <laughs> <laughs> here it is. My moment to woo you. Like, it's still not fair. Even if you're like honest and upfront, which I would imagine like having that conversation beforehand is better than doing it afterhand. Afterhand. Oh, yeah, that's true. But it's still like, why bring it into the conversation? conversation. No, it's bizarre. Is that unethical? I don't think it's unethical. I just think it's like a faux pas. It was always going to bring you down. And, and it, like, it, that's it the thing. it assumes that the person you're having sex with is like, can't wait to be your girlfriend. Right. You're so great. Right. Which is the conversation that is assumed here by Chase, where he's like, you trying to trap me? And she's like, fuck you, my guy. Like, I got options. We get her internality prior to this, and she's like, I'm gonna lose my virginity. It's very Tatum O'Neill in the seven of her. She's like, sure. let's get this over with. There is very little shame, and I will say that's one of the things that's actually fairly refreshing about such an old book. Yeah. What year was this? I'm looking it up. For a while, Erin, I got arrogant and thought that I could predict Joanna Lindsay. 1984. Uh, yeah. <gasps> Me and this book are the exact same age. <laughs> Holy smokes! <laughs> You're the rap, baby! That's amazing. <laughs> you are so much better than this book, Erin. Erin, I'm glad that you've progressed rest. <laughs> yeah, oh God. I just don't run. I mean, listen, if I had a horse and a place to run where they let me wear pretty dresses, I might go there. Yeah. Maybe it's just lack of uh, opportunity. You would uh, be a horse girl forever. I hope Isabel someday tells you about her college roommate who was like very horse girl. There was no one who will ever be more horse girl in my experience. I don't think she had velvet horse posters and her major equestrian science. Equestrian science? Like what would you do with that? The science of horses. <laughs> She wanted to run her own... Study horses? Yeah, she studied horses. She wanted to run her own ranch in Tennessee and raise racers. I don't hate it. I mean, raising racers, that seems very difficult, but... Super difficult. And she wanted to, you know, change the whole biz because so many horses were dying. There weren't enough women in it. She, like, wrote her undergrad thesis on, like, the cruelty and she linked it to men being in charge. And I was like, I love you. I thought you were saying all those things, like, isn't she weird? And I was like, I don't know. She sounds fucking... 
She well, this is the weird part. I will well, say she was kind of weird. Like she had well, good ideas. Very she good. had good ideas. Excellent ideas. Yeah. Velvet horse poster in her dorm room, and she also wore a sateen like full length robe a lot. And she smoked uh-huh. pot out of an actual like Winston Churchill pipe. And so sometimes she'd be uh-huh. like, "Looks like you've had a hard day, Isabel. Do you want to come into my room and sit on my beanbag chair and doable while we look at my horse posters?" And I was like. <laughs> Yeah. I both love and fear you. Yeah, she was a lot. <laughs> she was so much. I mean, nothing we've said has alleviated the fact that she sounds like a very cool person. Such a cool person. Yeah. But there is I like, mean, a, there's like an undercurrent there. She was the horsiest horse girl I had ever encountered. I think there's another connotation with horse girls that I get like what the sort of personality of that is that yeah. I understand. Because like it, everything you're saying about her does make her sound like pretty fucking cool. <laughs> yeah. But I yeah. think that like I get the horse standing in for that it stands in for like sex in a way yeah yeah or I mean the, I, they're sexy yeah, growing creatures up, yeah growing up when I was like so young that I remember people would say this I would think I'm too young to hear that <laughs> where they would be like you're gonna be very good at sex because you are good at riding horses oh and my I remember god like, yeah. I don't think there's a correlation also I'm 11 oh <laughs> and also all of my friends became lesbians and that's the moral of the story <laughs> see I think um, I'm I was also a horse girl. Yeah. And I do think like, what is a horse girl beyond me? And I think she is a lesbian. <laughs> yeah. I re- it was so natural. Yeah, I think y- too. Yeah, exactly. But I think there's something there about being like deeply connected to something that isn't human. Mm-hmm. And like, I talked to Isabel about being a horse girl sometimes. And there's like this element of not only willingness to like trust your own instincts but to trust the instincts of a horse Mm -hmm. that is uh not inherent in all people but it is inherent in horse girls (laughs) and you can be a true horse girl without actually riding horses just becoming obsessed with the idea of horses Oh, yeah. If you have a notebook full of horse drawings, you're a horse girl. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. You're either a horse girl or you're scared of horses. I think it says more about you if you're scared of horses. To be fair, as like the medium, not a horse girl, went to horse camp once, which was very exciting. Why would you identify as not a horse girl? I didn't own horses. And after camp, I didn't do it again. But you liked horses. I liked them fine. I was thrown, which was a very big experience for me. Yeah, I've been thrown a lot. My tooth is dead because a horse hit me in the face. Oh, my God. I've been kicked. I've been thrown. Yeah. And yet I keep returning. Yeah, I, I don't. I was, I was it doesn't. thrown the ones. It's the call of the horse girl. <laughs> there was nothing that horse couldn't do to me. And the best was like. <laughs> yeah, it's I, true. And I would yeah, just he, be like, what a wild spirit. <laughs> mine wasn't. Mine was such a like a plodding Appaloosa. And he felt so guilty. He like ran me over and he hit my mouth and my tooth. Oh, I was like oh bleeding God. from my mouth. Oh. They thought it was internal bleeding. Like I was a mess. And he just like stood next to me in the field he was just sort of like I don't know where to go (laughs) and then that night I went to visit him to say like it's okay Cherokee and he wouldn't look at me he kept turning around he felt very guilty it was true yeah we were connected The horse that kicked me does not feel bad about it. I still no. see her and I'm like, she does not give a shit. She looks at me and she's like, you can brush me. Because I let you brush me. Listen, they take all kinds. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> but I am so happy that I was a horse girl. I think it's like really, it's such a weird, bizarre little subculture and it's so fun True. and full of like very creative, interesting people who are still very creative and interesting. Yes. The yes. ones that I'm so friends with. That's so. true. Yeah. And it's one of those, like, I love organizing the world in really simple ways. Like, I like knowing people's star signs because then I can be like, ugh, you have allowed me to make so many deep assumptions about you that I'm now <laughs> going to carry with me. And I think like horse girl versus non-horse girl is that for me is another one of those. Yeah. I think it's a good one. Yeah. What are your star signs so I can judge you both? Thank you for asking. It's a really great question. <laughs> Um, I am an Aries sun, Scorpio Ooh, okay. moon, and Taurus rising, Isabel. I am a Libra sun and a Libra moon. Okay. She's a lot. And I'm a Scorpio rising. Yeah, there it is. Don't <laughs> finish it, it off. I'm a cuss. Yeah, the Scorpio for both of you guys, that's intense. That's yeah. a lot. We well, and also Aries and Libra are oppositional signs. We are. Ooh. Yeah. And so who is author Rimboat's lover? Oh, man. I texted Isabeau when I discovered this. And uh, Rimbaud and Paul Verlaine were a Libra Aries match. And I texted Isabeau and I was like, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, guess which one into the relationship by shooting the other one with a shotgun? <laughs> what is your sign, Aaron? I'm a Leo Aries rising in a Gemini moon. Oh, oh Gemini moon. I am riveted by your chart. <laughs> I have a lot of Aries and Libras in my life, though. Yeah. Yeah, a lot in Sages too. Mm-hmm. The top corner of many of our love triangles, our producer is a Leo. Our friend Rachel is a Leo. Now you're a Leo. Yeah. Pat's a Leo. Clayton's a Leo. Oh, wow. wow. The whole team. How do you know yeah. who's in charge? How do you know who's the prettiest girl at the dance? Everybody has to take turns. A Leo doesn't <laughs> take, take turns. turns. <laughs> I think it's like because then Pat does all the work. And so we can just be like, we're getting taken care of. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and so then, he feels like he's in charge exactly. and we feel special and everybody wins. Yeah, you guys have found the perfect way to make that work. You That's did sweet. it. What were we talking about? Brave the, the Wild, wild Wind. wind. Okay, so Brave the Wild Wind Horse Girls. Yes. Her horse's name Jessie, is Black Star. a horse girl. Mm-hmm. Jessie is a horse girl. She has a really intense horse named Black Star. David Bowie's last album. Mm-hmm. Actually, David Bowie named mm-hmm. his album after Jessie's horse. Because he loves romance. He loves Brave the Wild Wind by Joanna Lindsay. True fact. Which is such an odd pick for him. But, you know, maybe he was too a horse girl. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? David Bowie was deaf, at least a space horse girl. You know what I David mean? David Bowie was a horse girl. Yeah. Well, let's talk about, wait, what were your four things? Let's talk about violence. Yes. yes. It is shocking in this book. The yes. amount of violence and the casualness of violence and the way that people react to the violence is all very surprising. Yes. I'm glad to hear you say it's surprising because part of me is like a Western is violent, but that's not actually true. <laughs> Western's just hard work. I'm once again conflating a female-centered Western with Deadwood. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I'm not a fan. <laughs> oh my gosh. Hot take. Why don't you like Deadwood? Listen, I love Timothy Oliphant, so it's really difficult for me to say and this. he's so hot. In he's so the hot. sexiest. 
And I feel like for a long time, I was just being glimmered because it was Timothy Olyphant. I was like, this is a great show because he kept showing up every episode. Mm. But then I, I was just like, this is the same story over and over again. The women are all stupid or disenfranchised. And like as a Western fan, I knew more about sort of like the way that they would have acted back then. And yeah. I don't know. And then also it's just like very clearly they only had the budget for one set. And I just was like, I don't know. Can we just buy like get a little bit more space? It's like very claustrophobic. Um, yeah. And I just felt like it was just the same and the same and the same. I didn't feel like we were ever really moving forward. But Timothy Oliphant is very hot. And if you do like the show, you know, I get it. It's fine. People can like things. Thank yeah. you for saying that. My brother is already unsubscribed to my podcast. Though, before we Point. Well, now my brother will unsubscribe. <laughs> Are they giant Deadwood fans? Only, oh, yeah. Yeah. But I think all of the things that you've pointed out. But Deadwood is like Karate Kid. Every man over the age of 30 will die on a sword. That's the thing about it. Every man. But like, I don't know a ton of women who would like die on the hill of Deadwood. Like everyone's no. like, Timothy Oliphant, I see you. But no one's like, yeah, I feel really good about Deadwood. Build the hardware store again. <laughs> Take your shirt. Off. Which I think is a good place to like situate Brave the Wild when if we had a spectrum of Deadwood to like Dr. Quinn Medicine Wild. Oh, this is good. Yeah. Oh. Right? Brave the Wild Wind is more on the side of Deadwood than Dr. Quinn. Let's talk about the violence. Erin, shocking moments for you violence wise. I mean, I think just the opening it with that level oh, of violence is insane. Because yes. also, I don't know if we know at that stage that she's pregnant, but I think we do. Mm-hmm. And it's just in how insanely sorrowful it is that just this woman is just like walking home. All of a sudden, her husband comes out of the house and beats the living shit out of her. She almost dies. Yeah. And then is sort of never allowed, at least on the page, never allowed to truly process what had just happened, where it's like, that is such a major thing. And I understand that Jesse thinks that her mother was cheating on her but one beating somebody with an inch of their life is not nope. equal to cheating on somebody and the level of cruelty then that Jesse has where she's like not understanding or listening to her mother when we know what she went through and that her mother just sort of like suffers in silence like an angel it's just very frustrating yeah yeah we typically think about violence as this like external act right with like blood or like physicality but her mother is committing an act of violence in itself like almost like a self-flagellation like Mm -hmm. keeping herself closed off and being like my daughter will love me when she's ready and eventually the thing that like repairs their relationship or actually shares the information is the fact that chase finds Rachel's diary yeah and leaves it out for Jesse to find and so it's like this super violent act in the beginning of the novel creates this incredibly passive solution which almost feels Mm. violent in and of itself right and then the second that Jesse reads it like she believes her mother it seems like had her mother just said like just so you know I didn't do that and I was terrified of your father that he was going to murder me so I couldn't come back but I didn't think he would hurt you and in it seems like he didn't ever like physically hurt her. Yeah. But yeah, it's just absolutely insane. And sort of talking about never paying things off in this book or sort of like writing checks that doesn't cash. It's yes. like you need that to be paid off in some way. You need her to stand up for herself or be the one to tell Jesse or like I almost wanted her to like explode in anger and like tell Jesse like yes. just you ungrateful yes. little thing. You don't know what I went through. That never happens. She just waits for this guy Chase who's like her stepson basically. Yeah. 
Yeah. To happen to find the diary, to happen to leave it out for Jesse, to happen to read. It's just like that was your plan. Yeah, I don't like how sort of passive it was. And I feel like a lot of this book ends up being very passive or there are things that we are meant to care about that then we just kind of are like, no, it's fine. Yeah. Like the deed, some things get solved very quickly. Yeah. And it's just confusing. Too quickly. Quickly and they're solved in secret. So Chase wins back the deed to the ranch from our villain Bowder and then doesn't tell Jesse. He's like, mm-hmm. oh, she doesn't need to know. Seems like really important it's information. Like, show your that fucking gonna... work on that one, Chase. <laughs> what do you mean she doesn't need to know? Like that stuff happens and then there's the shooting when he tries to make it with the sex worker. Whenever they get married, he has a gun to her back the whole time and she's like, mm. teehee, I really want to be married. If only he he knew. I'm glad that you bring that up because like he knows at that moment when he's got a gun to the small of her back in front of the preacher, he knows at that point that she's pregnant. And she's like, I knew you were going to shoot me because I am secret baby pregnant, ew. But also like you're holding a gun to the back. Like what, like what are we doing with this like inherent threat of violence, which feels like deeply Johanna Lindsay. Yeah. Mm. How does this actually play out? Like what's your steps two through three? Right. There's a lot of threat in this. And like, as we've talked about at length in this episode, both of you are horse girls, but like one of the things that's really (laughs) terrifying about Thomas Blair is that not only does he beat Rachel within an inch of her life, but he kills every horse in the barn so that she can't escape. Mm, and like the fact that this book takes 14 pages to describe this foundational scene of violence it truly set the tone for the rest of the novel so then they're like kind of farcical moments but I couldn't read them as funny or farcical because I had this foundation of like horrific violence against people and animals and I could never then read Thomas Blair as anything but villain like he's the villain of this piece So Mm. all of us read the prologue before reading the whole book, but do you think there were women when this book was published who would have just skipped the prologue and gone straight into chapter one? Yeah, possibly. I think that would definitely color the rest of the book for you. Right? Yeah, and I guess I don't even know that you need that prologue. It seems to be, yeah, just so over the top and violent and terrifying and atmospheric in a way that the rest of the book never is. Yes! It is so vivid compared compared to the rest of the text like the rest of the book is you're right it's kind of silly like him having the gun to her back like there's I guess threats of violence I mean in that he has a gun to her back I think that's pretty overt but like the rest of it is like pretty farcical like they act very silly with each other Rachel in the house is pretty chill just hanging out seems like it's never that really ominous like airy thing that was set up in the in the beginning and so I don't think it's really necessary yeah Mm -hmm. Um, yeah yeah. I do want to talk about race in the book is it either of your weirdest parts race-based or should we make this its own little island in the stream? I was thinking this is an island in the stream because I think I have a different weirdest part. What about you, Erin? Oh, I now I have to think of what my weirdest part was. I forgot <laughs> that I had that too. Yeah, I'll come up with something. Okay, so we can talk about race in the book. Jesse has a family in the Cheyenne who are living off the reservation and she has a brother friend uh, named
named White Thunder, who is like kind of half in love with her, maybe not, but like respects her for who she is and protects her. And Chase follows her there and has this like really weird duel with White Thunder's brother where they're tied together and they like one of them has to kill the other. And then there's this Sioux warrior named Little Hawk who shows up and wants to marry her. And she's like, you're already married. And he's like, that's fine. Like, I can take a second wife. And she's like, that's not fine with me. And then there's this really, really weird thing where Bowder knows that she has this family with the indigenous people and says, they're going to go through some things. And then, like, they never appear again. Like, we don't know what they thought about that. That is terrifying. Yeah. It's yes. super terrifying. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's ridiculous. That's insane. It's a very dark way to set up a series. It is a very dark way to set up a series. Okay, so the next book deals with the thing? Well, it deals with a Native man starting a relationship with a white woman, I believe. Let me check. Journalism <laughs> ethics. <laughs> Joanna Lindsay. I'm pretty sure. Savage Thunder is number two. Fuck. Newly, newly widowed after a shockingly brief marriage to an elderly British lord, Jocelyn Fleming still aches with the pain of unexplored desire. And now her restless heart is leading her far from the protective bosom of polite London society to the perilous beauty of the American West and to cult thunder. Which must white be white thunder. thunder. Breathlessly exciting, cult is a loner whose Cheyenne blood burns hotter than the blistering Arizona sun. Jocelyn's wealth and title means nothing to this stranger whose passion rules his actions in his heart. But neither the wild desert stallion nor the untouched English rose can deny their irresistible attraction or prevent the firestorm of eruption of emotion that erupts when their vastly different worlds collide. God, I could not read that. I would like the 409 pages of my life back. This is one of the worst books I've ever read. I actually want to burn it. I have this book on my Kindle for God knows what reason. I was like, let's read it. What could go wrong? That seems like a lot of racism, even to deal with just in that blurb. Yeah. yeah. The book. Well, the good thing about White Thunder was the Sue that he was the Cheyenne like brother friend slash person who was in love with her, and then Little Hawk was the Sue person. A little hawk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, saying that someone is in love with her is like saying, you know, the sky is blue. Right. Like anyone yeah. she comes across is in love with her. Yeah. yeah. But Johanna did put it that, you know, he takes rejection really well. Yeah. And that when she's like, uh, I don't want to be a second wife. That's not really my thing. He's like, okay, cool. And then it's totally fine with it and continues on with his like day. Yeah. Yeah. Which like, I really appreciated compared to. sex boundaries. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And compared to also all the other men that she encounters who just sort of bulldoze over her or don't listen to her or don't pay attention or she only sort of gets what she wants through like tricking them. Yeah. yeah. The one person that she's able to be upfront and honest with like really accepts it pretty well. Can you imagine if this book had been a slow burn between her and Little Hawk and we had like our first ever non-monogamous romance in 1984 and it was Brave the Wild Wind by Joanna Lindsay. Road's not taken. Yeah. I want to live in that universe. I think that would have been great. Like, that would seems like he's pretty yeah cool he seemed pretty great are there any romances that are like polygamy there has to be non-monogamous well in the 80s i don't even know if there are any today you have that one that you were like oh we should read this the maya banks but then upon skimming she just has group sex she has like a single hero in the novel Mm -hmm. that she ends up with 
Well, they're definitely like menages and stuff like that. Yeah. But I don't know if it's like specifically like I have one wife and now let's bring in another wife. Yeah. There's also not like a world where it's like I am capable of loving more than one person at one time. And even like I am capable of loving more than one person in my life. So often they end up being like, I thought I loved her. I was wrong. I only love <laughs> you. You're the only one I've ever loved. Oh, yeah. My dead first wife turns out she was awful. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, that's the whole thing, too, that people are very obsessed with no cheating. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like, well, I don't know yeah. what happens. Life is long. Um, and also, like, none of these people are very good at communicating their needs. This book, more than any I've read, <laughs> is like, how about you just, like, fucking say two words to each other, guys? Like, please, can we just say, like, I like you? <laughs> or, like, your father beat me within an inch of my life for no reason. And it was very scary. And I stayed away. Yeah. Or I don't want to be named Kenneth. Or I want to wear, you know what I mean? It's like everyone's hiding. Nobody's talking to each other. That never gets resolved. Mm-hmm. And so Jesse and Chase never have a big moment where they really confess to each other yeah. and they really fall in love. So it's like, I never really even bought that they were in love. I'm like, I yeah. give these guys like a year or two at the most. Yeah, and true. then Jesse leaves with her kid because it's just like, I just never got that they loved each other in like this like sweeping romantic way. It just yeah. seemed like he wanted to possess her and finally she acquiesced. And then they got married. There seems to be like, and I think this actually does relate to like the racism in the book is the fact that she has that sweeping romantic love affair where I buy that they love each other mm-hmm. with Little Hawk or with White Thunder. But for some reason, like the book has set up these like really good, potentially really interesting relationships mm-hmm. with like good conflict. By good conflict, I mean like thoughtful conflict, interesting conflict. Thoughtful obstacles. Yeah. But instead, it's like just Jesse <laughs> just Chase <laughs> yeah and it turns yeah. out in the second book which is an interracial relationship that White Thunder has changed his name to Colt and is now trying to integrate into white society. Oh, it's just, oh, bummer. I yeah, know. Super bummer. Wow, that is super sad. Yeah, and also, like, these are the only two people we see in this entire book who really see Jessie for who she is yeah. and are able to appreciate her as her truest self. Yeah, yeah. and respect and so, her autonomy as a human being. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's the thing that it's like, it's such a bummer because you're like, these would have been really good relationships that I could have been like, I feel like Jessie could have worked through something issues with either of these two men right. in a way that she will never with Chase. Like, right. they will have an awful they're just going to be, like, you know those couples that you see at a diner and they're in their, like, 70s and they come and they yeah. sit and they don't mm. speak and they have an entire meal and then they just get in the car and go home. And that's going to be Jesse and Chase. I mean, it's that or it's like this other experience that I had very recently where I was waiting at the bus stop and this Uber <laughs> just, like, came at the stop and these two people were fighting in the back, just screaming at each other and I locked eyes with the Uber driver and I just was like, my guy, I'm so sorry. I winked at him and he's like, this is my night. This is my Saturday. And I was like, that for me is like, that's Jesse and Chase. Like, they're not going to make it out of it. I think you guys are making really excellent points about like the fact that like Jesse's first move is to leave, is to abandon her responsibilities. But the place that she leaves to is a place of authenticity for her. And that like Mm -hmm. Johanna Lindsay just like fucking leaves that at the door halfway through the book. And then is like, like, they're gonna go through some things <laughs> like but this is where she feels best this is where she feels most authentic this yeah. is where she feels safest so i do want to really t- briefly touch on the last movement of the book which 
Pedro Chase Summers wants to seek out his father, who he's always been told is, like, not interested in him as a child by his terrible mother who abandoned him, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And so he goes to Spain because he believes that his father is there, leaving his pregnant wife in a state of fugue shock because her ranch was burned down by her rival. She comes to as soon as he leaves and is like, where did he go? And her mom's like, Spain. So she gets on a boat to Spain, goes to his dad's (laughs) house, beats him there, starts making... She's also like 14 months pregnant. Yeah, she's 14 months pregnant at this point. She makes friends with his uh, cousin, Mm -hmm. his male cousin. Chase eventually shows up. He's like, whoa, he looks so much like me. And she's like, yeah, he's great. Your other evil female cousin wants him to die so she can get all the money and doesn't want you to exist. And he's like, whoa, tough titties. Here I am. And then he sees his cousin hitting on Jesse, making what were frankly some really good points that we've just made. (laughs) And he refuses to speak to his wife until she goes to a bullfight and immediately goes into labor. And even then, like, she has the baby and he's like, then he's like, oh, my bad, babe. Yeah, I guess you really are stuck with me. Freeze frame. Freeze Laugh track. (laughs) What a terrifying proposition. (laughs) This is, yeah, it's insane because like I know people who don't let their husbands go on like weekends away while they're pregnant which is fair too yeah but it's like the idea that like she just lost her livelihood she's becoming a mother for the first time which is like emotional yeah mm-hmm. and so you're like you know what it's a good time for me to go to Spain to try to find I'd be like <laughs> let's like give it a season like I don't know like maybe let's try that with a two year old but we're not doing it now and it just shows like an utter disregard for her and her feelings and her emotions and like what she might be going through you know yeah. that also, also her like oh the thing that will help is me leaving that will shock her back into Ugh. yeah because yeah. she was like catatonic and it's like and her mom's like guess what no. you do love him because you just woke up because also, you're so angry but it's like anything could have happened to her she was pregnant and what he's like on his bachelor party weekend with his friends playing paintball absolutely not absolutely not but also like let's remember we're in like 1871 personal safety it's like one in eight women are dying in childbirth and she's taking a transatlantic cruise to Spain 14 yes! months pregnant. I'm like, oh my God. I'm so worried. Like the stakes of this book are so high and like none but of it is. not aware. Yeah, it's like I'm like right. constantly on edge. That's not the high stake. We have no the idea of knowing. is his hot cousin hitting on her. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, we have no idea of knowing where that placenta is. She could be bleeding out at any moment. Any moment. Fine. Yeah. It's bad that the hot guy talked to her. Yeah. Yeah, it's not even that she then it feels like she loves him. I think if like some guy got me pregnant, my house burned down, and then I was like real bummed for a little bit, and then he left, I'd be like, well, where the fuck did that guy go? Yeah, you know? I too. I don't even think it's like necessarily love. I think I too would enter a manic state and board a boat to Spain. Get bangs, go to Spain. Yeah. Anything could happen. Bangs and go to Spain. That's the tagline of this episode. Get bangs, oh go God. to Spain. Get bangs, go to Spain. Anything could happen. <laughs> it is that is exactly it okay okay so should we start with weirdest part or sexiest part to be honest i feel like we've been ragging for a while so much so let's, be, do let's do sexiest part let's do sexiest part yeah okay so i'll start my sexiest part is he has just 
just survived the duel, which is stupid. And they end up in this cottage and they bone and it's like super cozy. There's like a ton of huga. There's like furs everywhere and like the floor is warm. And I don't want to be like too whatever. It's romance. So like he enters her and then he doesn't move again because he's on the edge of climax and he doesn't want to come too fast. And so then she moves and then he just keeps repeating her name. And I'm like, yeah, that's good. (laughs) He's like too close. And I'm like, yeah, guy, (laughs) it's a cottage in the woods. What about you, Aaron? Mine is the cottage too, but I thought it was when she was already pregnant, unless this is a different one. No, she's already pregnant. Yeah. When she's already pregnant and she's been like, they're on a cattle drive, but she just keeps running off to vomit in this cabin and he comes and he realizes that's what she's doing and sort of like really takes care of her Mm -hmm. in a way um, that we haven't seen up until then and it is sort of them just in like domesticity you know having sex but him also like cooking for her and making sure she feels good and all those things Um, and I think that was my sexiest part that or her getting felt up in the tall grass that was pretty (laughs) great too yes her getting felt up in the tall grass was very good I'm worried that this is the same scene but I mean it's just very good she believed him she felt worshipped Mm. Chase kissed the inside of her thigh perfect we've read a lot of Joanna Lindsay Joanna Lindsay does sex scenes really well and Mm -hmm. actually I've heard that her first ever romance novel she started with the sex scene and then she Mm -hmm. built her book out from there but this is you know one of the most like gratifyingly corporeal in Mm -hmm. that it describes the feeling of a man coming inside you and like Mm -hmm. the throbbing it's very graphic so like if you don't like graphics if you don't like being confronted with it no I would say the sex scene in the cabin one of the best sex scenes I've read. Yeah. It's very good. I also like the thing about sex in this book is like it is none of it is tinged with shame. And whenever no. shame tries to enter in, Jesse really swats it down. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's actually really important in a book that's actually not great. But like Jesse's and by extension Johanna Lindsay's real project of unshaming delight in sex is really good. And delight in not necessarily the most vanilla sex. Yeah. I mean, I think there are a lot of admirable things about Jessie that I do like. I think for her, it's just sort of like the running is a little bit much, but her personality, the way that she interacts with people, the way that she sort of cares about the people in her life is really positive the way that she is around sex and the way that she doesn't like you said like allow shame to enter the equation at all is very like progressive of her for 1984 or for 1881 so i think yeah you know way to go jess way to go jess yeah that's like the more i think about her i think when we did this initial recording this happened last time too i was like (laughs) like you know i was like this is bad and I think I felt that way really strongly about Jessie. I was like, she's a terrible heroine. Like, all of her assertiveness is brattiness and, like, you know, like... She's a real brat. But there mm-hmm. is something in, like, the way that she does not feel shame. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. her horse girlness. Mm -hmm. dare I say (laughs) but it is it's like aside from the fact that she's constantly running from her problems but also you see like she probably didn't have great modeling growing up for how to deal with complex emotions so I mean running is better than 
hurting somebody, I guess, or yourself. So she picked something that's not like super destructive. Exactly. (laughs) I think that's super true. I have come to feel more affection for Jesse through the talking through of this book the second time. Me too. Good. So yeah, from now on, just record everything twice. Yeah. (laughs) You'll really get to it. It is making me think we put out a lot of first drafts. (laughs) First draft only draft. First draft only draft, our new tagline. Weirdest part. Weirdest part, yeah. Well, the weirdest part for me is just like all of her going to Spain and being pregnant for so long and just trying to figure out the timing of that. And also like physically where she would be at during all of those. Mm -hmm. It's very, you know, confusing. I mean, yeah, I think that's all very odd. That's very strange that we ended the book in Spain was really something I didn't see coming. That's true. It was very much surprise. Also that he stops talking to her. Like, so my weirdest part is that she's like a billion months pregnant. Who knows how long? And he sees her flirting with his amazingly hot Spanish cousin at the Hacienda and like stops talking to her for at least eight weeks. Yeah. And I'm like, she's in the last fucking months of her pregnancy. She's also come to Spain to fucking find you and help you deal with like your like absent dad stuff. Yeah. And like you are fucking not talking to her. And then like I was like, okay, okay, okay. This is all building to an amazing Mia culpa, which like mm-hmm. BT dub totally love. And then I didn't get it. <laughs> Once again, Isabeau is blue balled for the Mia culpa. <laughs> I I totally understand that as like a modern reader of romance being like, ooh, he's terrible. I bet there's gonna be a really good apology. <laughs> I I can't wait for this apology speech that takes two and a half pages and makes me feel better. Yeah, does not come. Joanna Lindsay does not have that priority. No. She is very comfortable with bad people, bad feeling. Spanking. Oh, spanking. We didn't even talk about the spanking. (laughs) We will. We'll talk about the spanking before we depart this evening. Okay, this isn't my weirdest part, but I think you're pointing to something that is an issue throughout the novel, which is like how weak the conflict is. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of not speaking, like full stop not speaking to each other. Yeah. Dumb. Yeah. My weirdest part is that this novel for me more than any other it's just like what do you mean they're having sex now like they hate each other (laughs) they're fighting they're not friends there's nothing they enjoy about each other's company and suddenly they're kissing each other bruising each other's lips with their passionate kisses I am not convinced that Chase and Jesse like each other. Yeah. Let alone want to spend the rest of their days together. Like, there's stuff that we as readers are privy to. Like, the way Jesse approaches his father and has that relationship. You're like, oh, that's really charming. That's really great. That's very thoughtful and kind of her. Mm -hmm. Or, like, the way Chase respects Rachel and what he's frustrated by with Rachel. He's like, I wish she was more assertive. I wish she would be more decisive because because she has such a brilliant mind. You're like, wow, I really like Chase. But there is nothing in their interactions that would make either person likable to the other. And yet, we're supposed to root for them. Yeah. That's my weirdest part, is that they're constantly, like, fucking. They're, like, having great sex, but there is absolutely nothing in their interactions outside of the sex scenes themselves that speak to that kind of relationship. And, of course, yeah. the race stuff. But I've got to say, like, a white lady writing a Western in the 80s. The race stuff is there. Yes. Mm -hmm. Her first ever novel was a chic novel. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There is a spanking scene. 
You know, I've been thinking a lot about spanking scenes, and I've been thinking a lot about them because Johanna Lindsay loves butts, but also, and she loves spanking specifically. She loves spanking specifically. Erin, I don't know, you love westerns. Have you ever seen Maureen O'Hara and John Wayne's McClintock? No. Took place after The Quiet Man. It's like in the mid 60s. It's like very much feels like in the know, like a quiet sequel to A Quiet Man. Anyway, there's more than one spanking scene. Oh. John Wayne spanks Maureen O'Hara. Like his daughter gets spanked by her love interest. It's like spanking all over the place. It's a very weird Western that takes place in Montana. And like this felt like Joanna Lindsay had been watching that movie on repeat. Where she's like, this scene is titillating and terrible. How can I put it in narrative? (laughs) This Spanking occurs in every single one of her books that we have ever read. It's true. I don't know how a Viking becomes familiar with spanking. (laughs) I don't know if there's any history of that in that culture. But they figured it out. They figured it out. Spanking finds a way. Spanking finds a way. I was just staring into the middle distance thinking about spanking. Thank you for pulling me back, Erin. I don't know. book every single book every single book when is the spanking scene i don't remember he threatens her with spanking when she's first mouthy to him in the first uh 90 pages and then he actually takes her over his knee when she tells rachel that they had sex and rachel's like you gotta marry her and he's like Um. why the fuck did you tell your mother now everything's stupid i have to teach you a lesson lesson. Mm. Although equal opportunity butts in this, like he's been wounded at one point. He was shot while in the butt while he was hanging out with a sex worker and he's in the bathtub and like he stands up and like the water runs over his ass. And it's like, we spend so much time in like the soft sunlight of the late afternoon on his ass. Ass, 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 Joanna Lindsay. She loves it. She loves the butt. And to her credit, she describes women's butts in all sorts of different ways, but she does so at length. In spanking scenes. In spanking scenes. And men's butts. There's asses everywhere. <laughs> Definitely. All the time. It's like that scene in Franco Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet where it's like the <laughs> camera just stays on Romeo's ass for a million years. And then like <laughs> Juliet gets out. She's like, it's the sun. And like you see her boobs for two seconds. And then it's like we're back on Romeo's ass. <laughs> like that's the Johanna Lindsay novel. All right. Well, man's or no man's? I gotta go no man's, I think, on this one. But It's a no man's for me. How about for you? Oh, it's a no man's. I love this cover. Love the cover. She is wearing a 1980s negligee in an ocean. Not at all applicable. I mean, it's gonna be a no man's for me because all of the reasons we've discussed previously. But also, like, having read so much Joanna Lindsay and getting so deep into it, I know that she can write a good version of this. Yep. Mm-hmm. She just didn't. And also, if you think about just how the volume of so many writers uh, pull it out, that it just also makes sense, I guess, a little bit. This yeah. must have been very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not everyone can be defined at the heart. Not everyone can be a real winner. But I think, like, also, in a lot of ways, this book is, like, very 19. 19- 84. There aren't mm-hmm. a ton of surprises in terms of race or patriarchy. But like one of the things that like is good and like what I think I begin to see in this 1984 novel that becomes 
much better in her like mid 90s and early aughts is here's a woman who's going to say I enjoy sex and you trying to shame yeah. me is your problem yeah. and like Jesse's one of the first Johanna Lindsay heroines that really voices that but overall yeah they're way better Johanna Lindsay novels so it's a yeah. no man. you know there, there is something about that though like I talk about this a lot like are we able to look down on this because we stand on its shoulders mm-hmm. and perhaps that's true Perhaps that's true. But I think what's yeah. like but really... But it's still not worth your time. It's not worth your time, but I think what's really great about that is like not only that can we look down on this novel, but like Johanna Lindsay herself was able to look at this novel later and be like, these were mistakes I made. I'm going to do better next time. And mm-hmm. I think like that's the enduring legacy of a writer, this prolific, this kind of genius. She was of her time, but she was always of her time, which meant that her time was changing. And I think that's so mm-hmm. exciting and so important and like so important about romance that that the needle does move what a great last thought (laughs) yeah yeah that is a good last thought um i want to have a last or last thought and apologize to our guests you aaron also esme (laughs) somehow you guys ended up with the two worst books you really did i'm so sorry I've read it, enjoyed other uh, Johanna Lindsay. So I know, you know, this isn't everything. I know she can do better. (laughs) What are some other Johanna Lindsay's you would recommend for our listeners? I am also super interested in you just describing like the aura of (laughs) Johanna There were aura? Like being like Viking knight. Oh. Like just kind of describing it. For learning the tropes. We read Prisoner of My Desire, which was a wild ride. That episode's really fun. Listeners, if you haven't listened to Learning the Tropes, um, might I recommend (laughs) that Prisoner of My Desire. It's an excellent place to pick up with Aaron and Clayton. It's going to give you everything that you need. And it is Johanna Lindsay. So you can finish off your Johannuary with a cross-pollination podcast. And then I read A Heart So Wild, which is another one of our Westerns that Mm. was better than this one. It was about a wagon train. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. I love a wagon (laughs) train. Cool. So you liked Prisoner of My Desire. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to say liked, but I I had a lot of fun. It was really, it was bizarre and it was really big, but it was also what you want from when you pick up a classic or when you pick up like an old school romance, like you want it to be over the top and you want it to be weird. And it was. Yes. Yes. And I think that's like where Brave the Wild Wind like sucks for me is like it's also boring. Yeah. (laughs) If it was just weirder, then that would be better. Yeah. If they had like turned up some of the volume on this or the writer had, it would have been a romance because I love how bonkers our classics get. And I wish (laughs) there was some more of that joie de vivre in (laughs) contemporary romance writing. I wish people were willing to put someone on a boat eight times. (laughs) (laughs) That is my thing with contemporaries. They're too quotidian that it's just like, yeah, I get this as my life, but I don't, I'm not particularly interested in my life. Exactly. It's It's like, the, the yeah. fantasy is the thing that I'm coming here for. Yeah, there's right. something like there's something so and I hate to use this as like a derogatory term because I truly believe in it. But like we're losing something very punk rock about female desire or like desire in the pursuit of political correctness. 
we understand our desire and our pleasure as political now in such like a heightened way that mm-hmm. we can't just be like, and then she got spanked by the Viking, which was like the cool thing about romance back then. I don't think that's about political correctness. I think that's about like the world has become very small because like that's the scene that we're setting pleasure as political because like it's in the home. It's very intimate. It's very small. I'm like constrained. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because I also think that there's a thing about the kind of sex that you want to read about is not necessarily the kind of sex you want to participate in. Right. Exactly. In the world. That is sort of the fantasy element of a lot of romance that you are like, yeah, I don't want to be spanked by a Viking myself. Yeah, personally. But maybe I want to read about it. I don't know. And you yeah. don't know until you do. Right. And so, yeah, having it be a little bit more. Yeah. I understand what you're saying. Having it be a little bit more risky or a little bit different in a way that would like scratch your id in a way that you readers understand this is not real life and this is not what you want in yes, real life exactly. and this shouldn't be what you're modeling your sex life off of right but it is fun to to fantasize exactly i think that's and i will kind of stand by what i said earlier and that i feel like writers aren't letting it rip as much as they used to because there is a concern with like pushback on am I adequately describing consent or am because mm-hmm. so many sex scenes read like a very special episode <laughs> like you know where they're just not doing a good job of integrating it and making it sexy or making it a part of what's happening and also like you're right like I don't necessarily want to read my actual sex life <laughs> not that I don't like it not that I don't find it yeah. fulfilling not that it's not what I want also the beauty of a book is that you can close it if it gets to be too much and the beauty of a book is like it only happens to you as much as you want to let it in right these cartoon covers make it tricky but like looking at the cover of brave the wild wind i'm not shocked that there's a spanking scene or a description of what it feels like when a penis ejaculates inside your vagina you know what i mean it's all on the cover Yeah, it's all on the cover. I just wish people, yeah, I just wish people, like, really would let it. But then I say that, and then there's a book that comes out about, like, a 15-year-old gymnast. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oof. Yeah, that was disgusting. Right. And so, like, I think that's one of the things where it's, like, this world is so big, so the sex scenes can also be big and bold. And I think, like, there's this real, and I will call it a retreat into constraint. And I think, like, that's one of the things that I'm seeing in a lot of contemporaries, even historical contemporaries contemporaries it's like everything happens in a drawing room or a hallway of a massive manse i'm like there are like a billion rooms in this fucking house and we're only in three yeah mm-hmm. yeah let it rip but like not bad <laughs> just, I mean, just like stay away but from- that's the thing is like they were able to do it like johanna right. Lindsay wasn't writing about 15 year olds and adults she right. wasn't going into yeah. pedophilia she was doing like the lightest of light bdsm and yeah. it's, so it's like it's, there's a difference and i think also it's like most writers know the difference yeah i think if we're saying this to most readers and writers like they get what we're saying and that you know there are are definitely taboos that are still like you know too far but this sort of like just like a quick and dirty sex is different yeah, yeah. and yeah. and i think there's so many people who rag on joanna Lindsay, especially on goodreads and someone wrote this like great review of warriors with woman that was like what did you come here for <laughs> like you saw the cover like you knew what this was about like this is not supposed to be your like actual life like yeah it's 
you know, has really weird politics and the sex isn't always like the most ethical, but it's also not real. Like it's not happening to you. Like this is a fantasy. And I think there is a world in which my fantasy is like everything going perfectly correct. And there's another world in my fantasy where it doesn't matter what correct means because it's my fantasy. And I think romance is spending a lot more time in the former rather than the latter. Mm Mm-hmm. And it bumps me out. That's why I like these old books. Even though, like, I would never want to live in 1984 as a 28-year-old. Oh, my God. No, thank you. (laughs) All right. Well, that got weirdly heavy. Erin, thank you so much for the generosity of your time. Oh, no. Thank you so much for having me on. This was so fun. I've been a fan of you guys for a very long time. So it's trippy um, to actually be able to talk (laughs) with you guys on the podcast. And it feels like I jumped into a a podcast that I love. So yeah, thank you so much for having me on. And this was so much fun. Erin, that's so sweet. Mm. (laughs) Um, You made a very bad week that much better. You sure did. (laughs) Oh, good. All right. With that, Loosen your stays. But never your principles. Mwah. Whoa, golly gee. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Womance. Womance is hosted by Isabel. That's me. And Morgan, that's me. Production is by Nick Gravelin. Our webmistress is the incomparable Jane Bonzak. And our illustration and logo were created by Mary Reichman. They're the best. If you'd like to follow, creep, or connect with us on our social media platforms, you can find us at mans underscore woe on Twitter, womance on Instagram, or email at womancemail at gmail.com. You can also hang out on our amazing website at womanspodcast.com. You can support us by using our code to visit our sponsors or go to our Patreon where we are Womance. Womance is officially part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Discover more podcasts just like our own centering on romance and reading at frolic.media slash podcast. Until next week. Mwah. <laughs>